started early. We started at 9.30. Uh, we used to have a two-hour service, which was really like two hours and 15 minutes, <laughs> two hours and 10 minutes often. Uh, so we switched. We've, we're now at an hour and 45-minute uh, service. So if we start at 9.30, that's, I got to get my time right. So that's 10.30. That's 11.15, right? Uh, so Ted, just before 11, you're coming up, okay? And if, if they may have a big, long hook just to pull me off, right? Okay. Uh, keep me, so bro, give me the 15, 10, 5, starting at 10, 45. That'll help me a lot instead of, you know, uh, then that'll help us. Okay. Uh, so I've got a shorter message than, than normal, but you get two for the free price of one. Okay. Uh, so uh, I want to talk something that's been burning on my heart lately. And it, it probably came out of it in my prayer. We did a, a podcast, uh, here at Good Fight, Chad and I, last week, live podcast. So we have an hour-long live podcast now every week. You should tune in. We've, I think we had about 1,000 people, more than 1,000 if you count YouTube and other deal, uh, just in, tune into the live show, which is great, you know. And then uh, many, many more. We often get thousands, thousands, uh, which is great because we were able to have an impact on the body of Christ. And, and it's a lot of times those groups aren't just one person watching either, you know. So we know we're having a, a beautiful impact in fact, I'd like to think that by the grace of God, through what the Lord's done through this fellowship, we've actually had an impact on the church in changing their view. It's been in the forefront of the impact with other brothers and sisters in changing the view of the church from a pre-trib understanding that we're the escapist viewpoint that we're not going to have to go through trials and suffering because like the prosperity movement, you know, on the church uh, that teaches that God always wants us to be healthy and wealthy and so forth. Well, there's an eschatology like that. Well, God doesn't want us to go through radical suffering, you know, he only wants the Jews to go through that, you know, they're going to go through another Holocaust, but we're the church, and the church is just so special compared to the Jews, wrong, so wrong, man, it's so messed up, amen, and it's kind of, it's a westernized form of Christianity, because it, tick, the Bible says last days, they'll tickle their ears, tell them what they want to hear, and we don't want to hear you're going to have to go through, face the Antichrist, right? Sounds like a lot better to go up and like a lot of pre-trips teach. We're going to go have a party up there. We have the greatest party, the wedding feast, while the Jews are all being slaughtered down here. We're just going to live it up. That does not sound like God. Amen. In fact, that's actually a wicked, you know, wicked idea. In fact, when Jesus comes back for his bride, it's in Revelation chapter 19, at the end of the tribulation period. You read his bride is ready, and then he's ready to come. Verse 11, same chapter. It's, it's perfect. And, uh, but I want to get into this because I gave 15 dangers of the pre-trib rapture and we went through 15 of them and I had more than that and I mentioned one was didn't even my list my 15 I'm like I gotta be careful here I gotta get, try to get done in an hour and we didn't we got done in an hour and a half it made a longer show so we, you know it's cool uh, a lot of people love it people were saying make it two hours during the live show you know so uh people could tune out anytime but there's a lot of really serious problems because uh we don't call the pre-trib rapture, a heresy with a capital H. We believe you can, we believe a lot of wonderful brothers and sisters that we love hold that viewpoint, okay? People can have different views on the time of the rapture. But we do believe it's a, a heresy with a small h, meaning it's destructive. It's been divisive in the church, by the way. Thousands of churches have divided from one another. When the Plymouth Brethren first came up with it, John Darby, the Plymouth Brethren, they were considered the most divisive movement in, in, in church history by many, the Plymouth Brethren movement over that doctrine. George Mueller, who many of you know and studied, 
he was separated from and had to separate from them because they brought in this new doctrine. Because the Bible, God's word was always being taught that the second coming is real and we're looking forward to it at the end of the age, amen, when Christ comes to set up his kingdom, amen. That was the teaching of the church, but then this new doctrine came. Oh, really, those passages that warn about the end times, they're really not for us. We've got new light now. And that became popular in the 1800s. And uh, it's important that we understand how serious this is. And because things are heating up right now, a lot of the church is saying, Christ is going to come any moment. He's going to come any moment. He's going to come any, any moment. He, it's, it's heating up. He's going to come any moment because he's not going to let us go through these things. And I gave, and you know what? They're not expecting to see the Antichrist. That's scary to me because when the Antichrist appears and the mark of the beast comes out, that can't be the Antichrist. This can't be the mark of the beast. It's just a booster shot with three sixes or whatever, you know, because this can't be the Antichrist because the church is still here and everybody knows Jesus is coming before the tribulation period. Nobody thought that before the 1800s, folks. It's a lot of church history before that doctrine was dug up. And I gave 15 reasons to be concerned. And I was working on a message called the Hananiah heresy, which was one of the reasons I gave, but I only gave, because I only go through 15 real quick. I only gave a few minutes on it. And by the way, for the Texas group, uh, I hate to do this to you, James, in the Texas group, but uh, my message, my last message would be why are Christians allowed to take the mark of the beast and still be saved? Uh, change the name of that message, James. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry. It's going to be called the Hananiah heresy. Uh, and because a lot of these guys are teaching that you could take the mark of the beast and you'll still have the seal of God in your forehead and you won't be damned during that. Oh yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a heresy with a capital H because that'll damn your soul. Where pre-trib has a small H because you can believe it, but it could lead you into apostasy because you're not ready to go through a time of trial. And you're not ready to face the things because Jesus said, I've warned you about these things in advance. Talking about persecution and suffering. If they persecuted me, they could persecute me, you. Persecuted me, the master, they could persecute you. They nailed him to a cross. And it's taught, well, since Jesus was, died for us, he's not going to let us suffer like really intensely like during the tribulation period. You know what the apostles went through, guys? Study the history of the apostles and the martyrdoms that they went through. And don't pretend that we're somehow special all these years later when the church is so backslidden today compared to what it was like in their day. So Laodicean. Whew. Wow. And my heart breaks because Jesus said that they're going to hand you over and have you killed, John 16, thinking they're doing God's service. And he says, behold, I have warned you in advance so you will not fall away. He tells us these things ahead of time so we will not fall away. And in Matthew 24, he said, there'll be great deception, not just persecution. Be great persecution, you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. Ethnic group against ethnic group, we're seeing that right now. Lawlessness, like to fund the police, we're seeing that right now. Plagues, Luke 21, all of the discourse, seeing that now. And all these things will get ratcheted up, but there'll be this globalism. And there'll be, try, the, you know, the Antichrist system will try to control everybody. Oh, and we're seeing that now. You know, how many of you lost your jobs, you know, because you lost, you're supposed to have choice over your body? I guess that only counts if you're killing a baby, okay? What hypocrisy, especially when over 100 million people in this nation, maybe 130 and 40 
by this point have, been have not been vaccinated, but have 130 or 240 have natural immunity, which blows away vaccination. Okay. Oh, vaccination is going to work for 90, 95% of people. Now I read, you need a booster shot now. now you need a Wait, what? What happened? Vaccinated. I'm afraid of the unvaccinated. Why? You're vaccinated. It's just so crazy, man. And the studies are showing that to be natural, have natural immunity is way better. I don't want to get off on that topic. I'm starting to do it right now. But it just burns me up because I have lie after lie after lie by our government leaders. Joe, you shouldn't talk about our government leaders. You use your, use your 501c3. I don't care. I only want Jesus. Okay? We'll, 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 stand without, we'll, we'll stand without that. Amen? We'll stand without that. It's not a big deal to me. Oh, well, you know, oh, oh, we lost it. Okay, well, praise God, because who meets our needs according to his riches and glory? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, and I'm just being honest, and I'm not, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, and I'm not telling you what to do one way or another with regard to the vaccination. I happen to believe that there are effects, side effects that aren't being reported, but I also believe there's probably people alive right now that were vaccinated, that were old, older people that were, had diabetes or something that are alive. So I'm not going to tell people what to do because I don't want anybody's blood on my hands. So I say, do your own research, amen? But there's an awful lot of people that are trying to herd like cattle to get vaccinated that don't need to be vaccinated. And people are losing their jobs. Nurses, you know, over a thousand, I mean thousands, who knows how many that were on the front lines getting COVID, risking their lives, and they've already had COVID and they're better off than the vaxxed, but they're being fired because they won't get vaccinated and said, I'm better off. Why, why chance it? Because there's, there's some studies that indicate that you have a greater problem if you get vaccinated after you have natural immunity because you once had it. This is crazy. It's because it's about control. Okay. And we're supposed to obey the laws unless they contradict the word of God. So it's between you and the Lord if you feel it compromises, you know. Should I change my message? No, I shouldn't, because I have so many good things I want to share with you when we get into that topic, and, and I'm hoping to get in it before the end of the month. Pray for me, because every time I think I'm going to do a message on that, I want to make it a little bit better, because I'm wanting to make sure that I'm not, I, I'm just giving you, and I already said, I don't doubt there's a lot of people probably alive that have underlying conditions that were vaccinated that would have got COVID and died. Paul Hatley died, and he didn't even have underlying conditions a few weeks ago, Okay. Uh, so, but at the same time, you still have to look at some of the moral things, and there's different things I look at personally, and I'm just going to show you my concerns. Everybody shares their concerns all the time. I'll share mine, you know. Uh, we've shared some of them already in a podcast we did, uh, but we'll go a little deeper. But I'm really, really, really concerned about how there's this march toward globalism, a one-world government, and a lot of this is a precursor to what is coming. No, we did a whole message that this is not the mark of the beast, Okay. I gave seven reasons that this, this is not the mark of the beast, okay? And it's very, very clear that it's not the mark of the beast. You'll have an angel flying through the midheavens warning people not to take the mark of the beast when it comes out. And it'll have to do with the, the number of a man and his name and worshiping him. You could go back and listen to that podcast. You know, temple's not rebuilt. There's a lot of things that, you know, have to happen. If there's those things that are left to happen can happen pretty quick, by the way. So you keep your eyes peeled, amen? Now, I think it's important... Uh, that we understand the church is not prepared because when Jesus said, behold, I tell you these things in advance so you don't scandalizo. The word means to stumble, to fall, to trip, to fall. He tells us that this coming persecution, there's coming persecution even being killed so we don't fall away. Yet in Matthew 24, when they ask about the signs of the times, and he says these different things will take place, he says in 24, verse 24 and 25, 
about spiritual deception, for false Christ and false prophets will rise, showing great signs and wonders, deceiving, if possible, even the elect. Then the very next verse, verse 25, says, Behold, I've told you in advance. Why does he tell them in advance? So they don't what? Fall away. So he gives us the, uh, what's going to happen in the end times so we won't fall away. Same Greek word, by the way, scandalizo in Matthew 24 as in John 16. Then why do we read at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24, they'll deliver you over to be killed. You'll be hated by all names because of, you know, all nations because of my name. At the beginning of the tribulation he's talking about right there, he goes to the beginning of Matthew 24. By the way, how are Christians hated by the whole world because of his name if we've just been raptured? And how are they being killed if they just were raptured? That makes absolutely no sense at all. It would be a non-event because the church is here. That's why. Just like the church has taught for the first 1,800 years of church history and still today. I mean, praise God. I mean, it is true. I have to admit, it seems like for a lot of you, because I, you know, people try to find churches and it seems like most evangelical churches, the pastor teaches a pre-trib rapture or if he doesn't teach it, he holds that view. And so I, we believe in, and if you're, you're saying, man, I'm kind of new to Christianity, what does it mean pre-trib rapture? Okay, really quickly, the Bible teaches that there will be a last seven-year period of time before Jesus returns. We call it, it's called the 70th week of Daniel. It's in Daniel chapter 9. Many call it the tribulation period. The middle of that seven years is when the Antichrist sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God, which hasn't happened yet. And that last three and a half years is called the great tribulation period. And at that time, it says every nation, people, and tongue will worship him. And it says in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18, he causes everyone, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free and the bond, to be given a mark, either in the right hand or in their forehead, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And he says, which is 666, 666, to buy or sell in his kingdom. Those who don't buy or sell or take that will be beheaded. Or according to Revelation 13, verses 10 and 11, it talks about how they'll go into captivity, prison, or they'll be killed by the sword. You know, there's other things that will happen. There'll be God protecting many of his people in the wilderness. There'll be other people that are in their homes, and he protects them. We'll actually look at a scripture on that. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. But what's interesting is the church had always taught that there was one second coming at the end of the age. And then in the 1800s, there, were, there was the view that went out is that, no, there's going to be a secret rapture before the second coming, which would actually be the second coming if, if Christ comes. So Christ is going to come back, and he's going to catch us up to meet him in the air. And that rapture is not really with the second coming at the end of the age. That's its own kind of deal seven years earlier. And at the end of the tribulation period, he comes again. How many comings is that, by the way? Counting his first coming, how many comings is that? Three. Does the Bible talk about Christ's third coming? No. It says in, Re in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28, that it's appointed a man once to die, but after this the judgment. And he appeared a first time in reference to our sin, right? To, to, to die for us. But who will return a second time in reference to our salvation. Talking about final salvation. Hebrews is a lot about our final salvation. The Bible talks about the salvation. We're already saved. You're trusting Jesus. You die today, you go be with him. Amen. Ask for the body's prison of the Lord. Where the Bible says we're being saved. The Bible talks about Jesus said, he that endures the end be will be saved. Future tense, right? So it's important for you and I to understand that, and I'm going to go through some scriptures. I'm going to start really picking it up a little bit because 
we're concerned. I'm concerned because in Matthew 24, you have many falling away. Why do they fall away? If Jesus said, I'm telling you these ahead of time, so you don't fall away. Because before warned is before armed. Amen. But now the church isn't being what? Forewarned. Therefore, the church isn't forearmed. And if he said, by warning you, forewarning you, it's going to keep you from falling away. That was what would keep us from falling away. You take away his warnings. What's going to happen then, according to Jesus? Many are going to fall away. Because we've reached a time in church history where the church has bought into a lot of false doctrines. There's preterism. The preterists are very powerful now in the internet presence. A lot of Calvinists are preterists, and they teach that the end times already happened. Nero was the Antichrist in 70 AD. Uh, 70 AD brought the end. That was kind of like Armageddon. And Nero before him who beheaded Paul, he was the Antichrist. Problem with that, John wrote the book Revelation in the 90s under the reign of Domitian. We know that from a disciple of Polycarp who was a disciple of John named Irenaeus, the most radical, my favorite of the church fathers, by the way. Irenaeus uh, writes about how he was mentored by Polycarp who sat under John. He even talks about what John was like. And he said that he was exiled during the Domitian's reign, which was in the 90s, long after 70 AD. And the early church fathers talk about the coming Antichrist, the coming tribulation, trying to figure out what his name might signify, 666. They didn't have a, and then you would go come a couple thousand years later almost and say, oh, it actually was all fulfilled before the church fathers and so forth. It makes no sense. And man, I'm way, I'm just at the beginning of my notes right here. So Lord, have mercy on me. Thank God I don't have 20 pages, I have 10. So I'm going to start sticking to my notes more. So Kirk Cameron, who played the left behind guy, because Tim LaHaye became the big guy in the last 30 years, 25 years, to really popularize the pre-trib view even more. It was already so popular because of Hal Lindsey, Schofield, Darby, and others prior to him. And uh, Tim LaHaye wrote the whole Left Behind series, a bunch of novels about this pre-trib rapture, you know? And then how people become Christians after the rapture, and then they would go through the tribulation. And Kirk Cameron became the Christian star because he was a secular star. What was that big TV show he was on for years? Growing pains. I never even saw it once, okay? So they said, kick, kick Kirk Cameron's in the church, and I didn't even know what he looked like. I said, you have to show me who he is, you know? And I, he goes, Joe, I've been going to John MacArthur's church uh, for 10 years, and I assumed it was a pre-trib rapture. You know, he went to the seminary, I guess, or the oh, seminary of the Bible school, and he goes, I just never checked it out. I just assumed, and then I heard three of your messages on the time of the rapture, and I'm convinced it's not pre-trib, and I'm the Left Behind guy, and Left Behind had just come out on video before movies that weekend, you know? And I was like, wow. At least that's what I was told. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, I went to visit him at his home. We had deeper talks and stuff. We both spoke at the same pro-life conference and things like that. And one of the things he said to me that I thought was interesting, and this kind of, I'm mentioning this because this fits into my message quite well. He said, yeah, the way we were presenting the gospel to people, we'd have five, six, seven thousand people or whatever he said there was, thousands of people. And there were Christian bands. And then Tim, I would speak, Tim Hey. And we warn people to come to Jesus so they don't have to go through the tribulation period. And he goes, and he, and he was just sharing with me, like, just seemed like a strange way to present the gospel. And he heard me mention Ray Comfort in one of my messages, and he looked up Ray Comfort, and Ray Comfort's all about street preaching and preaching the gospel. Amen. We love Ray Comfort. He's on our Christian radio 24 7, uh, our Good Fights Radio. If you don't know about Good Fight Radio, go to it. We have all kinds of really cool teachers. And then, he, uh, look, he looks up Ray, and then he learns to go to the streets, and he and Ray had a program for years, I think they still do some things together, about presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is, is why would you be saying, warning people about tribulation, come to Jesus so you don't have to go through tribulation? First of all, you're teaching them a lie. It's not true that they don't 
Now, if they die first, yeah, they don't. But if they don't die, you're teaching them a lie. And because what they teach is that if, if, if when you come to Jesus, God's going to rapture you because he won't let you go through the tribulation period because God pours his wrath out through seals, trumpets, and bowls at that time. And God would not let true, his true church go through that time because there's wrath involved and we're not a point of wrath. By the way, guys, did you know wrath is involved right now? Revelation, uh, Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Okay? And it's being revealed right now. Romans 1. They give them over to pray in mind. They receive in their bodies. Do penalty for their perversions. Sexual perversions and so. Sexually transmitted diseases and what have you. There's wrath right now. But it's selective wrath. Amen? We're not appointed to wrath as Christians. No matter what time period you live in. Whether we go through the tribulation or not. Whether it happens in our lifetime or not. You say, well... Are these talks important? I mean, what if it doesn't happen in my lifetime? It was important for Jesus to stress 2,000 years ago. Think about that. And if I, it doesn't have my lifetime, I want my kids and my grandkids to be ready. Amen? And aware of what's going on. Amen? And when Jesus gives his longest message that he ever gave, longer than, the, than when you put Matthew 24 and 25 with Luke 21 and Mark chapter 13, it's longer than the Sermon on the Mount. His longest message right before he dies. And then he comes back to give the book of Revelation. It's important stuff. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, it's interesting because what they try to do to get people to become pre-trib, and it's weird, they sew it even into their gospel message, which you don't see for 1,800 years, is to freak people out and think, there's no way you could go through the tribulation period because there'll be wrath, so that God's going to take the church first. And one of their most, I mean, I had a talk, and I love Chuck Smith, you know, and, but I had a talk with him on an Israel trip, and, and it was kind of interesting because we were, you know, I was staying because I was actually, because of you, Ted and Linda, I was going to speak at like five places, and or the tour was over, and I went with a bunch of Calvary chapels. I was a, I was a brand new pastor, and uh, <laughs> talking too much because some of the Calvary pre-tribs were becoming post-tribs. In fact, my roommate, and he's preaching to everybody. I'm like, ooh, okay, I'm in trouble here. And I was supposed to go talk to Chuck because the doctrine was spreading that, wow, we might have to go through tribulation. And Chuck said, no, it's okay, you know. And then I found myself coming a little bit late to breakfast because I was, woke up really early to catch the bus to the airport. And I'm like, I'm staying for another week to preach. So I got in there as people were getting ready to leave and stuff, said my goodbyes to people I got to know. And then I'm sitting there all alone. And then Chuck comes in, sits in the table right next to me. And I would prayed for a meeting with him. And boom, he's right there. He served me, Lord served me up, man. And I'm like, hey, Chuck. And we had a great talk. And Chuck Smith, if you read Calvary Chapel uh, Distinctives, a book he wrote, it's Distinctives that Calvary Chapels believe. The biggest chapter is on the pre-trib rapture. So he hadn't written that book yet. And, uh, and we had a great talk. And he talked about, well, what about the wrath of God? I said, Chuck, you know. You knew the Bible really good. I go, you know God protected his people in the land of Goshen when the 10 plagues of Egypt took place, right? I go, he protects his people from wrath. We're not, we're not a point of wrath, so we're not going to see God's wrath during the tribulation period and so forth. And, and I want to go deeper. I'd love to go deeper into that talk with him. Maybe sometime I will. Uh, but when I gave him some things I don't think he could get out of, he says, well, what about the wrath of God? And then I countered that. And that's what I want to do this message on. What about the wrath of God? Because... And praise God, you need to know as a Christian, we are not appointed to God's wrath. Okay? Whether, whether Jesus, uh, whether you die and go be with the Lord, or, you, now by the way, if you turn away from the Lord and you commit apostasy, Paul warns in Ephesians chapter 5, don't be partakers with the sons of disobedience of the wrath of God. 
That's talking about you being apostate, falling away. Then you're going to be in some trouble. You better get right and get back. Amen? So what it's important to understand here is the pre-tribs try to scare people that God has to take the church because I guess in their minds, he's not powerful enough to protect Christians from wrath during the tribulation period. I'm sorry, if you can get by the first few words in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I have no problem with God doing whatever he, the Bible says he could do, amen? Because he is just all powerful, amen? Now, what's happened is pre-trib is now teaching that, well, if you don't believe that God's gonna take us pre, meaning before the tribulation period, you're, you have a blasted hope. Or if there's no pre-trib rapture, it's not the blessed hope, it's the what? Blasted hope. Meaning you, it, it ruins your hope of Christ's return. It's the blasted hope now. Really? So when Jesus taught his apostles, right, who led the early church, when you see, you, plural, pronoun, all of you, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, split. When he warned them, was he blowing his hope? Blowing their hope because he was telling them they're going to face the Antichrist? When Paul says, concerning Christ's coming, are being gathered together to him, the rapture, don't be deceived and don't let anyone deceive you by any means. That day, the rapture will not happen until two things happen first. What? The fallen away, apostasia, and the man of loss is Antichrist will be revealed first. Paul and the Holy Spirit, I believe, knew that these days would come and was warning the church ahead of time not to be deceived and to think that the rapture would happen before. The Antichrist is right there spelled out in black and white, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So when you look at this, I thought it's, a, it's crazy. Think about it. Think about it. It's important to understand. They're talking about the blessed hope. And Tim LaHaye said, and by the way, I got a, a nasty letter, I'm going to be honest with you, from Jan Markell, who heads up Olive Tree Ministries, very popular ministry. Uh, and we had done some things, I'd you know, been interviewed on her show before. But when she found out our video was coming out called Left Behind or Led Astray, and I was giving some warnings in there, strong warnings, she took umbrage with it. And, uh, you know, she has the biggest prophecy conferences, at least she did, I don't know if she still does, in the United States, by the way. Jan Markell, teaching men and women. Uh, and this lady's teaching that, emphasizing this preacher rapture over and over again. And it's caught on with a lot of people. Not just, I mean, she's just one of many. Now, when she was, when Left Behind Last Stray came out, she said, oh, you know, and I was mischaracterized as saying Margaret McDonald came up with the pre-trib rapture by many of these people. I don't know if Jan did that, but a lot of them, were, that I was saying that. And no, I said no. I make it clear in the video. And by the way, Jan Markell, big fan of Dr. Walter Martin, Bible Answer Man. We are too. He's on our 24-7 Good Fight radio program. He's one of the guys you'll hear. We love Walter Martin. But I quote Walter Martin saying that it started with the pre-tribs. I'm sorry, it started with Mark McDonald, this he says a 14-year-old false prophetess named Margaret McDonald. It started with her, the pre-trib rapture. And he was post-trib, Dr. Walter Martin, the original Bible answer man. And I quote him saying he pinpointed it to, with, with Margaret McDonald. But then I disagree in the video. I make it real clear more than once that we don't agree that it started with her, the pre-trib rapture, like Walter Martin does. But Walter Martin is praised even though he has a stronger view than we have. Okay? Now, I have to be honest with you. I, he has a stronger view as far as who started it. We have a very strong view and because of the times in which we're living of people knowing the difference and people being ready, though. Yeah. And uh, 
Tim LaHaye said, if Christ does not rapture his church before the tribulation begins, much of the hope is destroyed and thus it becomes a blasted hope. Because she wrote me and said, Tim LaHaye never would have said that. And I was out of the country. Tony emailed me or texted me. I'm like, Tony, just send the reference. I have Tim LaHaye's books in my library. Okay, and he sent her the reference. And then crickets after that. And then later on, guess what? She does messages on now called things like, when the blessed hope became the blasted hope. Then she had messages. She's titling that. I'm like, what in the world's going on here? Strange stuff, right? So, by the way, Mark McDonald did come up with the secret rapture, that aspect of the pre-trib rapture. See, the Bible didn't, the, the pre-trib is often two glaring ways. Timing-wise, Jesus told his apostles he'd come for them immediately when? I'm hearing a bunch of you say it. Immediately what? After the tribulation. That's Matthew 24, 29 through 31. You don't see any pre-trib before that anywhere. You do see warnings of fake comings before the tribulation's over. Don't, don't believe them. They say I'm in the desert place or, or in the inner rooms. Secret raptures into the inner rooms. And pre-trib teaches that it's a secret rapture. All of a sudden, a bunch of people vanish. You know, you see sometimes bumper stickers. If this car is unmanned, you know, it's because of the rapture. You know? And, you know, people are teaching that stuff. And then guess what? So it's secret, and then it's at the beginning. The Bible doesn't teach it's at the beginning, and it doesn't teach that it's secret. And the church is ill-equipped, not ready for this, and they're going to freak out, and many are going to fall away. And my heart beats with that with passion to, to, for those folks to wake up because I love my pre-trib brothers and sisters. Otherwise, it just wouldn't be a big deal to me. In fact, I love pre-trib brothers and sisters more, uh, far more than many pre-trib teachers who aren't really concerned about what they're going to face in the future. Okay? And are concerned that they may be wrong. They don't even look at it. And they just want them to believe the pablum. And by the way, is it a secret return? No. Wait, wait, the term blessed hope that Jan Markell uses and Tim LaHaye before he died and saying it's a pre-trib rapture and so many pre-tribs believe it's a secret coming. Is it secret? What's the name of this fellowship, by the way? Blessed Hope. Blessed Hope Chapel. You think we might know something about the blessed hope of Christ's return? Uh, I was going to have you turn about. I'm like, wait, it's right over there. Looking for the what? Blessed the blessed hope and the glorious secret rapture of our great God. No, no. Glorious what? Glorious appearing. appearing. That's not a secret. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. I love this verse because it has his coming. Uh, he's called God. Jesus is our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. His atonement, paying for our sins to redeem us from all iniquity and purify sanctifications there, right? Uh, for himself, a people zealous for good deeds, right? He saved us to be active for him. Uh, faith without works is dead. That verse says so much. But one thing I want to focus on, it's called the glorious what? Secret rapture? No, glorious appearing, right? And right before Jesus said he's going to come immediately after the tribulation, not before, he said, if they say I'm in the secret rooms and so forth, don't believe it. Because he says, when I come back, it's be like lightning shining where? From the, east to the From the east to the west. It's going to be obvious. He didn't want us to be deceived by a secret coming. Are you with me right now? Yes, sir. It's so clear. And now, it's important that you understand this because Revelation 1-7, right? You don't have any pre-trib rapture there. And it's addressed to the churches. A lot of pre-tribs say, oh, that's reading someone else's mail. No, read verses 3 and 4. Blessed he who reads and keeps, and hears the words of this prophecy. Or blessed is he that reads and hears and keeps the words of this prophecy. How do you keep the words of a prophecy if you're not here? 
The very next verse, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Then we just seven churches, let him that has an ear, that's us. Hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. Hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches, right? And then the Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says again, in case, I think he does this on purpose because he knew what would happen. Right. He says, these things have I testified in the churches. churches. And the church is mentioned over and over again in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, those who come out of the great tribulation period were cleansed from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Who's that? That's the church. The Antichrist will make war on the saints. Revelation 13, 5 through 7. Who's that? The bride of the Lamb is given white garments just before Jesus Christ returns. She's going to be clothed in white garments, or it talks about that in anticipation of his return because he rewards those when he comes, right? And it says, the white garments are the righteousness of the saints. saints. The bride is the saints, the saints are the bride. And the believers. So this is very important because right now the church is, I believe there's a, Satan has a spell over the church. Because that, what do you think Pearl Harbor was so effective, right? There's going to be a Pearl Harbor on the church. The church is being fattened up for the kill. And I think this is imperative that we understand this. In fact, it's interesting because Marvin Rosenthal, and some of you are pre-wrath. We have, pre-wrath is very close to the post Trib position in many ways, not exactly, but our, at least our pre-wrath brethren are warning about the coming of the Antichrist and the church is going to have to face him. Marvin Rosenthal, who's credited as being one of the main founders and the most popular founder of the pre-wrath view, he said that pre-trib origins were satanic and unheard of until before 1830. He said, quote, to thwart the Lord's warning of his children in 1830, okay? Now, Mark Donald, I'm going to tell you right now, Marvin McDonald was getting a vision of a secret rapture, and this is when the pre-trib thing, the, uh, uh, the pre-trib viewpoint came at the same time and, and also pushed this secret rapture thing, which I'm still waiting for people to show me where the church was teaching a secret rapture before Marvin McDonald. Listen to what Marvin McDonald, and Baltimore was wrong. She wasn't 14. She was probably 15 at the time, a sickly gal that claimed to be a prophetess and having visions, and she was influential on the Irvingite group, which was the first group to teach a pre-trib rapture. We proved that in our video called Left Behind or Led Astray. We look at his morning watch writings before John Darby even got a hold of it. Just look at that thing, man, called Left Behind or Led Astray. And you'll see we show document after document where it's being taught in the 18, early 1800s, even before Darby said it, by a group that was being influenced by Mark McDonald, having all kinds of false visions, false prophecies and everything. Charismania was going on. She writes... Mary McDonald, this 15-year-old claiming to be prophetess, who was a false prophetess, by the way, because she claimed a certain guy, prophesied a certain guy was the Antichrist, this part of a socialist party, and he died and left, and he was not the Antichrist. She says, here, I was made to stop and cry out. Oh, she's having this vision. Oh, it is not known at what sign the Son of Man is. What, we don't know the sign? What? The people of God think they are waiting, but they know not what it is. So she's going to reveal it. How are you going to see when Christ comes? Or not see, because it's a secret. I felt this needed to be revealed, new revelation, and that there was a great darkness and error about it. But suddenly, what it was burst upon me with a glorious light. I saw it was just the Lord himself descending from heaven with a shout, just the glorified man, even Jesus, but that all must, as Stephen was, be filled with the Holy Ghost, that they might look up and see the brightness of the Father's glory. Remember when Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father in Acts 7? Yeah. Only he saw it. So she's saying, guess what? Only certain believers will see the coming of the Lord. and It'll be a secret rapture. Excuse me. Yeah, excuse me, amen. I saw the error to be that men think that it will be something seen by the natural eye. Well, how about Jesus taught that? Like lightning from the east to the west, and behold, he comes with the clouds that every eye shall see him, and they also which pierce him, and all kinds of earth shall well because of him, even so, amen? Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, Re that's Revelation 1-7, by the way. Yes, 
but to spiritual discernment that is needed, the eye of God in his people. It's not like a weird third eye kind of thing. I felt that the revelation of Jesus Christ had yet to be opened up. It is not a knowledge about God that it contains, but it is an entering into God. I saw that there was a glorious breaking in of God to be, and there was all kinds of weird things. I mean, Irving Knight set up 12, like, you know, these different thrones who followed a lot of her, who were influenced by her teaching. And John Darby went and checked her out and heard some of her visions. He said it was satanic. But a little bit later, after he was influenced by the Irving Knights, and who knows, maybe the secret part of his rapture from her, we don't know for sure, smoking gun though, he starts reading Matthew 24 differently. And he says, Matthew 24, I came to believe is really not from the church or for the church. He received new light, even though the church had always understood Matthew 24 and 25 to be Jesus' words to his apostles that related to the church and pertain to the church. And all of a sudden he got this, and what happened, that was the beginning of dispensationalism as we know it today, that Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Mark 13, Luke 21, the book of Revelation are really not for the church. We're going to be out of here early. And then they didn't, pre-tribs did not build their doctrine around Margaret McDonald or even the Irvingites because they, found a dis, they fell in disrepute. It's all the false prophets that came out of them. And many were having these visions, and we show this in Left Behind Letters 3, and these prophecies about a pre-trib coming, secret coming, stuff like that. John Darby was more academic, so they said, let's hang our view on him because he's more respected as academic. George Mueller used 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which I quoted earlier concerning Christ coming out being gathered. It won't happen until the Antichrist or the following the Antichrist on first. George Mueller, who's probably the most famous, uh, of, especially among missionaries, just to say, uh, of, of Plymouth Brethren. He was in, I think it was Open Brethren. Ted, would that be right? Because you love George Mueller. He was, it was just, uh, and he, he looked at it as he was teaching a false teaching that Darby was. And it began to spread. Now, what's happened, though, is how do you get people to become pre-trib? We don't have any clear verses. You know how we know there's no, there's no clear verses? Because we offered $10,000 for years and years and years to anybody who can give us just one clear verse that stated that the rapture would be for the tribulation period. Only one guy actually formally tried to claim it, and I showed him where he was totally wrong and misused that verse. He said, yeah, I know. I'm actually post-trib. I was just trying to get the $10,000. <laughs> And Thomas Ice, who's the dean of pre-tribulationism these days and right-hand man of Tim LaHaye on a radio program, said that what if he was going to try to claim the 10,000, although he knew that would never work with us, he would say the word apostasia, the fallen away word, strangely fallen away in the King James, is really the rapture. Yeah, that's not going to work either. Okay? Because he, you know. Anyway, uh, so they try to scare people into, well, God wouldn't let you go through that time. And I gave quote after quote after quote after quote after quote, not only in my debate with Dr. Stauffer over in Colorado, but I just in our recent uh, uh, podcast that we did, I gave, I don't know, 10, 12 quotes or so where pre-tribbers I found online just surfing the net one day, looking what pre-tribbers were saying that if there wasn't a pre-trib rapture, saying then the God would be evil if he let us go through that. It's setting people up for a fall, guys. Then God doesn't love us. Wow. So he didn't love the apostles? So he doesn't love the millions of saints that are in the tribulation period? Jan Markell states, quote, the point is the non-pre-trib view is so grievous, the idea that you have to go through tribulation, that's so grievous. Jesus died for his church and would not put us through further hell. Yes, the world and the devil are putting his church through it, but Jesus Christ himself doesn't do that. How on earth could it then be our blessed hope? Hell? Tribula hell is God's wrath. Do we have to go through hell, brothers and sisters? No. 
So what she's doing is trying to talk, talk like we're going to have to go through hell. No, we have to go through tribulation. But tribulation is different than, perse- uh, than, than, than wrath. Amen? 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 Think about it. The tribulation, believers are pointed to tribulation. Amen? The Greek word is flipsis. Flipsis. And I'll show you a little bit later where the Bible says we're appointed to tribulation. But guess what? We're not appointed to wrath. Orge. There's thumos and orge. And orge comes from another Greek word that's similar to that word that has to do with a swelling or a building. And orge is like God's wrath that's building up. And eventually he unleashes it on those after his patience is worn out because they're not repenting. Boom. It falls. We're not appointed to his orge. Okay? We're not appointed to his wrath. But the Bible says we are appointed to thlipsis. Amen. Jesus said in John 16, 33, you know, that he wants us to have peace. Amen. But he said in the, verse, in the same verse, he said, in the world you will have what? Tribulation. Tribulation but be of what? Good cheer. Good cheer. I have overcome the world. the world. So, Ted, I'm going to bring you up exactly at 11 sharp. Okay? Praise God. Okay, so listen to this. And I think it's imperative that, because I just got the next sign. That said 10, and it's 10.49, so maybe one minute lower than that, bro. Uh, so it's interesting, trying to scare people in this false doctrine, sitting with Jan Markell, a very popular prophecy teacher, a Calvary Chapel guy, I think he's at, out in Hawaii area, uh, Pastor J.D. JD uh, Farag, Farag, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, with Jan Markell and Armi, uh, Armir uh, Sarfati, sitting together, uh, Farag, I think it's how you say his name, or Farag, says, this is not hyperbole. If it were not for the blessed hope of the soon return of Jesus Christ, and he's talking about the preacher of rapture, keep in mind, not the glorious appearing. The Bible calls it a glorious appearing, not a secret rapture. So they're often even the verses they use. He goes, if it's not for this, this preacher of rapture he's talking about, I would go literally insane. I would lose my mind. He's freaking people out, guys. Pre-tribbers are not preparing. They're doing the opposite of preparing the church for what's coming. This is a leader, a pastor, a shepherd. Amen? He's basically letting him know that if he had to go through the tribulation, he'd go insane. He would lose his mind. And what shows me is a lot of these guys are cowardly. I'm sorry. And that's the leaders. And you fall, blind follow line, you both fall in a pit. I'm looking at that. I'm like, wow, man, where's our faith in Jesus? Amen? And Armir Safadi, Safadi interjects and he states, quote, I wouldn't live and I would not be able to handle what my eyes see, the evil and the darkness and such that the likes of which we have never seen in human history. They're just trying to freak all the listen out and, and then pre-trib. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to go through that because if he would go insane, if he would lose his mind and his eyes couldn't see it. And Jan says it's a blasted hope now and stuff. And Tim LaHaye said that. Yeah, of course Jesus is coming sooner because I can't make it then. And Jesus says, Be of, you know, I'm telling you these things ahead of time so you don't fall away. Yep, yep. Jesus is saying that he's preparing us. Amen? Amen? And Jesus is saying, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. It's not going to be too much for you. And God promises in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that whenever we have a trial that we go through, God doesn't give us too much that we can't handle it. Amen? But he sees us through it and gives us the way of escape that we may be able to not go to heaven and get out of it, but be able to endure it, it says. Amen? So Dr. Ed Hinson, uh, he's a, uh, some of our folks that went to Liberty know that name. Uh, he's a, I think, Liberty Bible College. 
prophecy teacher and so forth. He goes to Jan Carl's conferences, I don't know how many times, and he shows, let's take, show that picture, Jonathan. He shows a picture of Farrah Fawcett. Don't worry, it's not a, you know, provocative one. Shows her from the movie Burning Bed, all beat up. He goes, those who think that we have to go to the tribulation believe that's what God's going to do to his bride. He's going to beat her up. Do we teach that God's going to beat up his bride? He shows the picture and all the, and all the people are like freaking out. Oh, oh yeah, God's not going to beat up his bride. Of course he's going to take us. That is, I'm sorry, Mr. Henson. You are either should not be a professor at a Bible college because you're ignorant, because that's not what post-trib teaches, or you're a liar because you know better. And I'm, and I'm going to let God judge his heart. I'm not going to judge his heart, okay? But they know we don't teach, most of them. I would assume he does, but maybe he doesn't know that. I'm sure he knows. I'm sorry. We don't teach that God's going to pour out the bowls and the, and, and the trumpets and, and, and send scorpions after believers, okay? Yeah, I don't know any post-tribber that teaches that. And if they do, they would not be considered in our camp, you know? So uh, it's just, it's a lot of scare tactics because they don't have scripture. In fact, let's go through a few scriptures quickly. Revelation 16, 2. One of the bowl judgments, one of the t- most terrible judgments. So the, so the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on who? The, the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. God's wrath is selective. Very, and I, we could have spent the whole time just going through Revelation, which I've done before, looking at how his wrath is selective and pointing at unbelievers who worship the beast. Not pointing at believers, guys. Amen? Amen. In fact, Revelation 16, 10, and 11 talks about how there'll be darkness on the kingdom of the beast. And they'll like freak out. But guess what? God protects us. In fact, in Exodus, and by the way, the book of Revelation is like, uh, the Exodus was a picture of the ultimate, you know, Exodus. Amen? Amen. And they didn't get the Exodus until at the end of the 10 plagues. Amen? Amen? But God protected them in the land of Goshen. In fact, when there was darkness on the kingdom of the beast, we read this in verse 22 of chapter 10 of Exodus. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and total darkness covered all the land of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else for three days. No one left his place. Yet all, listen to this, yet all the Israelites had light in their dwellings. And when you go to, amen? Amen. And in Revelation, I'm sorry, you keep going and guess what happens? The 10th plague, the death of your firstborn, if the Israelites put what on their doorpost and their lentil? The blood of the lambs, right? And then because they were covered by the blood of the lamb, they weren't under the wrath of God, amen? Now, if the, those lambs were typological. They foreshadowed. They were just regular lambs that were clean because they were pictures of who? Jesus. Jesus, amen? Now, if those lambs could keep you from the wrath of God, how much more can the blood of Jesus keep you from the wrath of God? Amen? It's obvious. In fact... In the, book of, in the book of Revelation, do you know, you, if you just look through your concordance, go through, if you've got a strong concordance, a lot of you have strongs, go through it and you'll see, just look up the word lamb, you'll see it comes over 30 times in the book of Revelation. It's used of Jesus being the lamb of God, more in the book of Revelation than all of the rest of the Bible put together. God is making a point. And in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 14, that's when you have that great multitude that from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue that have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus that come out of the great tribulation. And it says they've, been, they've washed their robes, it says, in the blood of the lamb. lamb. Now in Revelation chapter seven, there's those who haven't been washed yet in the blood of the lamb. And it's this 144,000 that God's preserving of Jews, amen, from 12 different tribes, right? Amen. So he stops the four winds and the God, God's wrath and the trumpets are not gonna blow yet. Why? Until I seal, seal 
the 144,000 in their forehead. So they don't partake of God's wrath. That's what it says. Well, guess what? We don't need to be sealed in the tribulation period because as the church, we've already been sealed. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, amen? We've already been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. That's why we're told in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 9, that guess what? We're not appointed to the wrath of God because we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We're already sealed, amen? Amen. So, this, are you with me? Yes. And by the way, Jesus doesn't come back for a battered bride. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Now, it's interesting because the Lord, in what's called the mini apocalypse of Isaiah, he has an apocalypse, chapter 26 of Isaiah, about the end times. And yeah, the church will get, you know, just like the apostles, just like millions of Christians will get persecuted many to death. It's already been happening for years. It'll be more intense at that time, for sure. But guess what? Jesus said to take up your cross the day you follow him, amen? amen. And we're supposed to deny ourselves. And in Revelation 12, 11, it says of the church, they, they, they overcame him, that is Satan, by the blood of the lamb, yes. by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives even to... Yes. Death. Yeah, there's going to be believers dying. But there's also going to be believers that have just closed their doors. In fact, listen to Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20 and 21. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until my indignation comes to pass or runs its course like the Passover. Right? The death angel, Passover. Listen to what he goes on to say. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. What is the Lord saying during the tribulation period? That he's going to go after the wicked. But he's going to pass over you. Amen? Amen? Where's your faith at? And by the way, Tim LaHaye knew that. Thomas Ives knew that. that. That we're not really going to go through the wrath of God. In fact, all you have to do is watch one of the Left Behind movies after the rapture is supposed to happen, and you see the tribulation saints, and guess what? They're not subject to the wrath of God. So why are you trying to scare everybody and act like they are? It's a lie. It's a lie. In fact, listen to what Tim LaHaye's study Bible says. In the Tim LaHaye Prophecy Study Bible, 2001, okay, it says, of that verses I just, of the verses I just mentioned Isaiah, the, the, the footnote for those verses is, the prophet utters a wonderful promise of safety for God's people during the time of worldwide terror in the tribulation. He urges them as he urged the children of Israel during the first Passover, Exodus 12, to shut themselves up in their homes until the indignation is passed. Amen. Amen. If this was the only note in his study Bible, I could tell people, yeah, that's a good study Bible. But unfortunately, it's got the pre-trib stuff and then it's scaring people that were not appointed wrath. I was like, wait a minute. You yourself admit the saints that are alive at that time aren't going to go through God's wrath. So quit trying to scare people or act like God can't protect us from his wrath. Amen? Amen. Are you still with me? Oh, yes. That verse that says we're not appointed wrath, right? It says that book, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it also says this in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, that no one should be moved in these tribulations for you know that we are appointed to this. 1 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. We're appointed not to wrath, but to tribulation, guys. Even in the same book. And by the way, when it says we're not appointed to wrath, 1 Thessalonians 4.5.9, 4, you need to know the context. 
It talks about Jesus will descend with a shout, right? The voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up to meet them in the air. The rapture, amen? But are the times and seasons of that rapture, I have no need to write to you. For yourselves know that he's going to come like a thief in the night, just like Jesus taught, right? But you are not in what? You're not in the dark that that day should come upon you like a thief because you're children of light. Pre-trib, it's like, oh, he's coming like a thief. You'll never know. No. He says, we're not in the dark. He's not coming like a thief to us because we're watching for the signs of time. If you're post-trib, you're looking at the signs, right? And we're waiting for his return. And we're waiting for his return because when he returns, it says he'll bring sudden destruction upon the wicked. But we're not appointed to wrath. What wrath? His sudden destruction. His second coming when he comes, not in a secret, invisible, pre-trib rapture. But when he comes in a visible appearing, when he destroys the wicked. Are you with me? Yeah. And that's the wrath we're not appointed to. We're not appointed to wrath today. We're not appointed to wrath during the tribulation either. Amen. The context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, is the second coming wrath when he comes to destroy the wicked. When they're saying peace and safety, Paul says sudden destruction will come upon them. What you, but we're not in darkness that that day should overtake us like a thief. Amen. But it's going to be sudden destruction. It's not a pre-trib secret rapture. It's the end. That's the context of 5.9, by the way. And Ted, I need to get you up here, bro. Praise God. Lord is good. Amen. You know, I don't, we don't open this pulpit up to many brothers because uh, you know why. <laughs> but I open up to the elders, and Ted's one of the few. Love you, brother. Love you, bro. Praise God so much for you, bro. Thank you. Wow. Praise God. We love you guys, and we bring you love from your brothers and sisters uh, in Israel. From uh, Victor Kalisher and Eti. We just spent the night with him to uh, help get us to the airport, at least on the way. He's the head of the Bible Society, and Brother Joe went out with him witnessing, actually, in Israel. Had a very exciting evening. If uh, you listen to past messages, he ran into a bit of persecution, which is quite normal, especially from Orthodox Jews who don't quite understand Messiah yet. But they will one day. We are so humbled and privileged to be able to serve the Lord in Israel, uh, also, I bring you greetings from Maxime and Karina in Haifa, Joe and Lisa. They send their love, their kids, Adushka, Adi, Sophie, and they have a newborn son named Ilan, and they're doing a great ministry. He's pastoring a congregation that meets on Friday evenings with about 80 to 100 uh, Russians, who Jewish Russians who've, who've come to Israel, have immigrated there, and uh, also has a re rehabilitation uh, ministry for those that have addictions to drugs and alcohol and that kind of thing, and they come to know the Lord in a personal way, and oftentimes their marriages are restored, and we just attended, Linda and I. Uh, Linda, maybe you could stand up just for a minute. That's my wife here. We're married 45 years. And uh, praise God for his grace, because marriage just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> And uh, one thing we love about Joe and Lisa is they live what they preach. Amen? Let us be doers of the word, not hearers, only thus deceiving ourselves. So, and we want to thank uh, Jimmy and Rochelle Sanford. Congratulations on your marriage two, two years ago, right, bro? <laughs> Something like that. Praying for their work in the Philippines there among the orphans. How important. That's where God's heart, that's what true religion is, right? Caring for the orphans and the widows and their needs keeping yourself unstained from this world. Well, I'm actually an ordained Calvary Chapel pastor who 
is post-trib. <laughs> and uh, we know Amir Safarti is a very dear, very precious brother, but he should stick to the news rather than eschatology. <laughs> you see, he, was, he went through the Calvary Chapel system, which our daughter also did, graduated in Japan as uh, well as in the States. And uh, Chuck Smith was a good personal friend. We would meet with Chuck when he came to Israel. We were actually involved in a terrorist attack together where we were praying and reaching out to other people in need. And he had a great capacity to love others. He's now with the Lord, praise, praise God. And Walter Martin was one of his good friends who had actually explained to him the way of post-trib. But you see, Chuck was, uh, he had a Schofield Bible and that's all he knew. It's hard to think outside the box, okay? Same with Amir, pray for Amir. Okay, he's a dear brother. We have other friends that are working with him. And he does love the Lord and loves the gospel, which is so important. We're only a remnant, only a handful of believers. Uh, these are Jews that have been grafted back into their own olive tree. And uh, I think you're probably aware of One for Israel with Etan. They do a great job of getting the gospel out and challenging rabbinical uh, Judaism, when they actually call Christmas Hag Hamolad, it's the uh, feast of the birth. Well, actually, if you take Micah 5.2, there's a, a prophecy about that, right? Where Yeshua would be born in Bethlehem Ephrata, which he was. And of course, those in Herod's day, they knew, they told Herod, he'll be born here. That's, that's the Messiah, that's the king, king of the Jews. And uh, anyway, I wanted to share just a couple of stories. I have a short time here with you. Uh, so just want to treasure that. And uh, Joe recently, uh, and Lisa, recently, uh, we went to my nephew. My nephew's married to an Israeli believer. And uh, she was an orphan, really. And, and uh, we, uh, we love them so much, Stephen and Maria. They have two precious kids. We went to a birthday party, and a, a young lady came up to me and said, thank you. I said, she was speaking in Hebrew. I said, for what? She said, well, you and your friend, she was referring to Joe Schimmel, you met us at the ship in Haifa many years ago, and you put us on, on your shoulders, and your friend put my sister on her shoulders, and you gave us a verse. And she was saying this all in Hebrew, quoting Isaiah 49, 22. I'll beckon to the Gentiles. They'll bring your sons and daughters. They'll even put you, put you on their, their shoulders as you look at that. You know, it's just an amazing verse. But she remembered that, and her whole family came to know Messiah, came to fulfillment of prophecy, that he'd bring them back. Amen. He'd bring them back physically, but also spiritually to himself. And uh, trying to get my notes here to work. <laughs> oh, I, that's it right there. That's what I want. Yeah, and her name is Christine, and her mother has saved many babies from abortion. She was our pro-life counselor there in uh, Tiberias. And Linda and I, we still, even though we're retired and kind of have been pioneers in the pro-life work, helping get it established, uh, uh, st thousands and thousands of babies have been saved through this work. But sadly, on the other part, many more have been sacrificed in the Israeli hospitals. Abortion uh, is legal through all nine months in Israel. We have 12 hospitals that do late-term abortion. So we're praying, we're crying out to the Lord, and the Lord has really raised up the local believers, the small remnant, to reach out in most of the Israeli cities now. We have our pro-life uh, counseling centers, and even God has blessed us to be able to do advertising on all the, what we call the Agid buses, and uh, big advertisements, 
And uh, love your neighbor, you know, as yourself. Ava recha kumocha, says in the Hebrew. And uh, try to point people to their own book, to the scriptures, that life is sacred, that it's holy, a gift from God, that we're made in the image of God. Uh, recently, I was in an Israeli hospital, and I was a patient there. I had had an infection from an um umb umbilica hernia. And when I was there, a young man came in named Tomer. Now, Tomer was in very poor condition. He was almost like a vegetable. He had uh, actually fell over at work from dehydration. And what moved me so much was his father. His father was with him all night. It just reminded me of the prodigal son story, you know. His father just loved him, and, and he wasn't a believer yet. He was a secular Jew from uh, the village where we used to live. So I wrote to a friend, we prayed for her this morning, uh, Anita Rose, and I said, Anita, would you please pray for Tomer because he can't even eat, he can't drink, he can't do anything, he's like perishing. And uh, so she wrote back and she sent a verse from Isaiah that, you know, uh, I am the Lord your God, I will strengthen you, I'll help you, and I'll lift you up, encourage you. It's Isaiah 41.10, also Isaiah 41.17. And... Uh, so Tomer's father came over and he read it in Hebrew to everybody in the room. There was a, another guy there from Haifa. He was a, uh, a real scholar on history. He knew all the you know, history from World War I, World War II, and uh, he was spouting that off. And uh, he didn't seem very friendly at first. He began to warm up as we spoke more. But when uh, Tomer's father read that scripture, he said, where is that from? Where is that from? He said, your own Bible in Isaiah. He goes, read it again, read it again. And I don't know why I started weeping. And this love, I was so filled with this love for these people. And they weren't yet believers, but I thought, you know, God loves. He loved us when we were yet sinners. His love is so great for his people. And he's promised to restore them back to the land of their fathers and also to restore them spiritually to himself through the prophet Ezekiel. There's a wonderful verse. Uh, it's a great story about Jehoshaphat, how uh, Jehoshaphat, excuse me, they uh, went out against the enemy and, and they just started worshiping and praising the Lord. The Lord is good. His mercies endure forever. And uh, somehow the enemies turned on one another. You know, when a man's ways please the Lord, it says, makes even his enemies be at peace with him. And uh, these words came, and it's in, uh, uh, it says, behold, uh, let me read the right one to you here. Oh, it's Second, Second Chronicles 2020, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles 2020. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will endure. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. So that's what we need to do. We need, because God's word is living and active, alive, sharper than a two-edged sword. Put our trust in the Lord and in his prophets, what his prophets have proclaimed. They are true words. They're from the living God. And... Uh, what is the situation in Israel today? What's like the book of Acts going on? There's uh, a lot of fierce opposition to the gospel. And uh, especially pray for uh, 
Joel Goldberg, Joel Goldberg, he heads up a program called Netiva, and this is training young people and discipling soldiers, former soldiers, in a program called Eros. And uh, what is happening, happening they, a lot of these guys are going into the IDF, into the Israeli Defense Forces, and he, they've prepared uh, evangelical literature to give out and reach others in Hebrew and other languages. And uh, so an Orthodox rabbi said, you know, too many young people are coming to believe in their Messiah, in Yeshua, who we call Jesus. And uh, he said, you have to stop them. So now YouTube is trying to, you know, they're trying to close down the one for Israel right now. Our good friend Eric Erez Azoref, pray for him. He's the head of the college there. And Itan is working. But also there's another brother there. His name is Carlos. And Carlos works full-time in Arabic-speaking evangelism. And uh, he's been discipling. Actually, he discipled a young man named Jihad. You know, Jihad means holy war. <laughs> and uh, so Jihad came to the Lord. And it got so dangerous for him down in Gaza that they had to secretly ship him out to another more friendly Arab country where he could grow in the Lord and flourish. So anyway, uh, these are all good signs uh, because the Lord said, I want you either hot or cold, right? <laughs> so uh, for the believers, this is a real challenge. And uh, we have the privilege of working closely with a number of the believers. Shmuel Sol Solway from uh, Leklaha. It's a, uh, another discipleship program for IDF soldiers. They have about 16 young people in there now that they're training, that we're praying for. And uh, one of the young ladies was just uh, baptized. That was really great. Her pastor came. And they also get involved in the local congregations there. Uh, but they're reaching out to others as well, sharing their faith. And so we really see a lot of new life coming into the young generation in Israel, which is, uh, you know, really uh, wonderful and encouraging. Uh, how can you pray for Israel personally? Uh, I would say probably the best advice would be Paul's own prayer. And at Romans 10.1, my brothers, I pray that Israel would be saved, that they would know their Messiah, that God would open their ears and their eyes and their hearts to see how wonderful the Savior is and how Yeshua alone fulfilled all of the prophecies. We have a neighbor in Jerusalem, and uh, there was a book, Betrayed. I think, Joe, probably you're familiar with that book by Stan Teklin. And uh, Stan's daughter had become a believer, and he wanted to prove that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, and he ended up becoming a believer in Yeshua himself, and he wrote this book. And so uh, this guy named Giorgio, he, was, he immigrated from Italy. Uh, Jews have come from uh, over 120 countries back to Israel. And uh, he said, you know, I don't, I don't believe in him. I said, not yet, but you will. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, pray for, so pray for Giorgio, that Giorgio will uh, come to know the Lord. Okay, Joe, did we want to do a communion service? Okay, we're going to do that. I know. thought maybe you wanted to come up, bro. Okay. Okay, so through communion, we focus, of course, on the Lord's uh, death. We proclaim what he has done for us by shedding his precious blood, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And in Hebrew... We say, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam motzelecha min haaretz b'shem Yeshua. Blessed are you, O Lord, who brings forth bread from the earth. Borei 
pre-hagefen, bless the fruit of the vine as well. And we know Yeshua poured out his love among his closest friends that night. And we know he went to the Kidron and sang a song before going through the valley of the shadow of death for us. He died on the cross of a broken heart, pleading forgiveness, pouring out his love, praying for you, praying for me. Wow, such love. There was a dear brother many years ago in England, Sir Isaac Watts, who wrote a song. I wrote down some of the words. Probably, you probably know it by heart. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. He gave everything for us. Left heaven, took on our flesh, took the wrath of God upon himself so that we would have peace with God forever, so we'd spend eternity with him and his Father, the Holy Spirit, it says, even though, Peter wrote, even though you don't see him, you love him. And we love because he first loved us. And that's really what it's all about. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We call it Seudat Hadon in Hebrew. Maybe we can ask Jimmy.